the multi-track video thing is, you know, we did, we had that before the pandemic. Now with the pandemic, everybody who owns an instrument and, and an iPhone is, is doing a video where they play different parts and it's multi-tracked and multiple windows. So I thought, what, what can I do? That's, um, not just that, not just my face for five or six times and also visually engaging maybe to a viewer who is not a jazz listener or a jazz musician who might not understand what's going on musically, but might feel captivated when they see something interesting or something that that's attention grabbing. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Cameron Milligan. Cameron, well, he's a rising star. Cameron is a Montreal-based freelance trumpet player and the winner of the 2022 Trumpeters Multitrack Competition. His winning entry, a unique take on the jazz standard, All the Things You Are, spotlights Cameron's skills as a talented arranger, a skilled trumpet player, and a creative multimedia editor. Keep an eye on this guy. He's definitely going places. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, welcome to this special episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined by the winner. He is a winner. He's a champion, folks, of the 2022 Trumpeters Multitrack Competition. This is the second season, and uh, this is Mr. Cameron Milligan. Cameron, welcome to the show. Hey, Jose, it's great to be here. Hey, man, this is wonderful. I am so excited. I, uh, you know, I checked out your winning entry, and, and folks, if you want to check it out, uh, links in the show notes. So uh, definitely go and, and check it out. It was absolutely enjoyable, both from the audio perspective, the arranging perspective, uh, and uh, the video perspective. So it, it's definitely a work of art, and uh, I think uh, you guys are going to be hearing a lot from Cameron uh, in the future. So let's just kind of get started with the, the basics of so camera. You know, what, where, where are you from? What do you do? Um, uh, and, and why the hell are you playing the trumpet? <laughs> well, I come from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, I currently live in Montreal, Quebec, and, um, I've been playing the trumpet. I want to say around 15, 16 years. Uh, I started so I started when I was a teenager and and uh, I saw a trumpet player at the, the jazz festival and and he was amazing and 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 he had all the the high notes and the solos and uh, him and I are still very good friends but when I saw him uh I thought well, I have to do that that's that's for me and everyone was like are you, are you sure that's a good career uh, idea and I, it doesn't matter if it's a good idea or not that's that's what I want to do and uh so from then on I was like just enamored with the trumpet and, and the sound and, and, you know, I started taking lessons, um, with several people in, in Vancouver, including the, the, the guy who inspired me, uh, and, and, you know, listening to, to the heavyweights of trumpet and, and falling in love with, you know, great jazz players. And, and, uh, I sort of, the, the route, I, the direction I went was more of a jazz soloist. Um, I just kind of fell into that from sort of not being a lead guy and not having the chops for that. And. Uh, you know, I started listening to Tom Harrell and, uh, and Chet Baker and, and Clifford Brown, of course. And, uh, a few years later, I 
did, uh, I start, started cruise ships. I was very young uh, to be doing that job, but I did that job for about 10 years. So I didn't go to school. Um, I, I tried it a bit and it wasn't really for me at that time. So I did cruise ships for 10 years and, and um, a few years ago that was, you know, uh, that, that had run its course. And, uh, you know, it, it was good to have a salary as a musician and to have a gig gave me like real life professional experience, but, uh, you know, it wasn't something I wanted to do for forever. So I thought, let's, let's go back to school. Let's give it a shot. Uh, in, in Montreal, there's, uh, you know, there's more of an art scene here than, than, than in Vancouver where I'm from. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's a very diverse community. So I thought I'll take a chance, go to Montreal. And, uh, since I moved here, I've been playing professionally as a, as a freelancer and jazz musician. Uh, I've got my degree now and I'm studying for masters. And I also play uh, part-time with the uh, Canadian military, uh, reserve band. Um, and, uh, that takes us to pretty much here, uh, uh although, you know, the music scene here has been very supportive. The, the military band is full of very good musicians and very good jazz musicians too. And, um, you know, the pandemic, uh, that sort of drove me into maybe exploring multimedia stuff, self-production, uh, just out of there, not being any, uh, anything else really going on. It, it, it made sense to get into, uh, recording and, and recording video and, uh, producing. And that takes us to, uh, to, to here and now. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. So it, I mean, it, that's kind of an interesting route, you know, going from, uh, you know, moving to, to, uh, Montreal, uh, establishing yourself as a, as a player and then going back to school. Um, so, I mean, when you talked about the, the, the player who first, uh, kind of inspired you, who was that? Well, that's a guy named, uh, Terry Townsend. And uh, he's, he's a studio uh, trumpet player from uh, Nashville, I believe. Uh, he played with some very big, uh, big names like uh, Delbert McClinton and a lot of blues guys, R&B guys. And uh, he moved to Vancouver and had a, a career there. Now he lives in, um, uh, in, in Cabo in Mexico. He's semi-retired. Uh, what a life, he, man. Yeah, yeah, he's got a great life. I went and visited him in October. Actually, it was very, very cool to catch up after uh, you know so many years. But he was very—he was a guy like really inspired by like Stan Kenton and, and Maynard Ferguson. And uh, you know, he went to those Stan Kenton band camps, and you know, he had—he was a prodigy in terms of his abilities and, and range from a very young age. But also, you know, from my perspective, he was just a, such a generous guy. Uh, as soon as I saw him play that, that first time I went and introduced myself and he, you know, he was so encouraging and he gave his time, you know, he'd come, come and show me things on the trumpet. He'd bring me CDs and like, you know, he really, uh, had that nurturing spirit, like the trumpet player community should have, you know, he saw someone else and related to that and, you know, wanted to pass something on, which sort of inspires me to, to hopefully be able to do the same thing at some point, you know, it's, it, it, I owe so much to people who were just kind of generous with their time and, and were happy to share their expertise to, to someone younger and enthusiastic. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of it. And, you know, I've said this several times, that's kind of uh, been the, one of the, the driving impetus for this podcast is that, you know, not everybody has the ability to meet great players 
and uh, you know the the talk that that we have with with a player after a gig, you know, not just you know, master classes are great, but it's you know, it's the hang, you know, it's when you're sitting there talking and, and you get to to find out more about their personality, about the the things that drive them, the things that are important to them. Then that really helps you if if you desire to be, uh, you know. Uh, to attain that kind of status or that those kind of accomplishments, then you need to know more than just, you know, practice out of this book. You, you need, you need to understand the business. You need to understand uh, all the processes. So yeah, that, that's a huge part. And I, I really love uh, talking with, with players because there's just so much to learn and there's, there's more than, then you can learn in just any uh, one singular sitting or, you know, one single masterclass or, you know, reading one book. So, um, you know, for, for yourself, you know, being, being there in, in Montreal, I, I'll, I'll just take this back a step. So, uh, talking about Terry, I love Nashville. I love Vancouver. Uh, that that's like on my, my top five list of places, any place I could live in the world. I just love Vancouver, uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but Montreal is also one of the places I've never been to Montreal and I've wanted to go to Montreal. Um, so you said that the music scene in Montreal is uh, is more the art scene is a little more happening there than it is in in Vancouver. So uh, you know what are, what are the opportunities that you have there? As I'm taking you're more you're, you're considering yourself more of a, of a freelance player these days. Uh, you know what's what's the music scene like up there for uh, for a budding trumpet player? Well, I think it's picking up. Uh, you know, post COVID. Um, but you know, before before the pandemic as well, like there's just, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, not not only like it being a bigger city, but it, it's a more affordable city, so artists can come here, and it's it's less than half the price to live here than in in Vancouver. So you can come here and actually make a go of it. So I think it's attractive to to artists and musicians alike to come to a place where, you know, not only is it cheaper to live here, but it's also uh, th there is a, a big scene. Um, there's a lot of places that that are not afraid to host live music. There aren't a ton of bylaws preventing you from from making noise. Uh, the, the gigs, you know, there, there's a lot of gigs that don't pay a whole lot of money, but they're still there. And I think that's important, especially for young and upcoming players uh, to just play. And there's much more. Uh, there are more venues. They're more open here, I think, to to trying out something new to to make a noise and uh if if you're if you're new to montreal people will people will come and see you and and you know they'll invite you to play with them and they're they're just more places to play and and even if you propose it to you know bar owners or, or restaurant owners they tend to be fine with the idea of live music where i found in in vancouver it's it's a more expensive place it's a more maybe regulated place and more the closed place and uh the to make music is 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 a much more difficult process there's only a, a couple places that that have live jazz and um you know you start <laughs> if you were just to start playing jazz somewhere you'd probably get complaints and and you know it, it's just not as uh as open uh as montreal in, in my opinion yeah well you know and you brought up a really good point that uh, that you know, the only way you're going to learn, you, know, you, you got to cut your teeth, you know, mm -hmm. and you've got to have places to play. And um, 
you certainly, I mean, I, I remember when I, when I first started thinking, okay, well, I want to make a, a go at, at music. I'm thinking, okay, well, I either need to move to LA, New York, or Nashville. You know, those were the three places I'm thinking. And granted, you know, you're going to be surrounded by great players in those locations. But the trade-off to that, while you're where the music is happening, you know, the big stuff is happening, the trade-off is, well, Nashville, it, not so bad as, as New York and, and L.A., but, you know, New York and L.A. particularly, uh, the cost of living in those two cities is just insane, yeah. you know? So, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to either get some super high-paying gigs, but if you're trying to break into the industry, the odds of you getting a high-paying gig are, are slim and none. Um, or you've got to work super, super consistently. I mean, you have to work actually probably more than you can technically work <laughs> to make to make ends meet uh, doing those kind of gigs. So, uh, you know, kind of cutting your teeth in a, uh, a smaller market where, you know, there's still, you know, finding that spot where there's a lot of music, where there's a lot of opportunity, but the cost of living is not as high as you know some of the other places i think that they provide you a great balance because you can make a living playing you don't have to uh you know sacrifice your art because you, know, you can't afford an apartment or you can't you know can't afford to eat so I, I think that's a really kind of that's a super smart move to find a place that that gives you the best of both worlds as opposed to just you know diving into the you know the pool with the with the sharks and having to survive there so, uh, you know, when you talk about the music scene in, uh, in Montreal and for yourself, I mean, what, what kind of music uh, is your, you know, where's your passion? What, what makes you, you know, happy to play? And, and what's a kind of, you know, like, what's your, what's your idea of a perfect gig? I really uh, aim to, towards like small group jazz. Um, I think my, my biggest, uh, uh, idols would be maybe Kenny Wheeler and uh, Freddie Hubbard. So, so modern, not not quite avant-garde, but but straight-ahead jazz is really my thing. I love improvising. I love um, I, I I love big band as well. I, I like to arrange as well. Uh, so you know, like in my video, I I I do enjoy uh, making my own arrangements and and hearing other people uh, flush those arrangements out in their performance. So um, I th I think if yeah if it were up to me maybe like a quintet sextet with with a lot of great solos and maybe some semi arranged bits uh, that that's kind of my ideal situation. Cool. Well, you know, and speaking of your arrangement, let's uh, let's definitely jump into that because uh, you know that's that's part of why you're here is uh, you know that was one of the. The prizes for the winner of uh, the 2022 multi-track competition is to get a chance to to sit here and and talk nonsense with me. But uh, you know that you did uh, for your video. You your submission was a very very interesting arrangement of all the things you are. I mean, so that that is just. I mean, it's a classic tune. It's a standard. You know, so everybody's heard that. But you did some very interesting things with it in terms of both uh, time signature and your harmonization on it you know just the some super super lush and interesting harmonies uh for that so um where did you get your inspiration for for the the musical side of, of that submission uh from a few different places i would say that the introduction sort of trumpet choir thing 
was uh, definitely inspired by Kenny Wheeler with the, the cascading, like overdubbed stuff. Uh, the the harmonization part and the odd meter. Uh, I was listening to a lot of like um, Alex Sipiagin with Chris Potter. You know, they're very like. Uh, you know, it's almost like Michael Brecker, Randy Brecker kind of stuff. Very, very modern. Uh, uh, Dave Holland, who they both play with. You know, lots of mo uh, odd time signatures, lots of uh, advanced harmonic stuff. That was kind of what was going through my head uh, as far as inspiration. Uh, when it came to actually um, harmonizing it, what I was thinking, uh, when I took all the things you are, the melody is all thirds. If you look at it, it's all all the third of the chord. And I thought, well, what if what if it wasn't the third? What if it was the uh, fifth? And what if the melody dictated uh, the harmony below it rather than sort of the other way around? So let's try that as a fifth. Let's try it as the ninth. Let's try it as the thirteenth, and keep the chord qualities more or less the same, but see what it gives us. And it it has a very like uh, interesting chromatic. Um, sort of oblique motion under it and and just playing around with with changing the keeping the melody the same but changing what degree of the scale it, it, it represents um, made for some really interesting harmonies uh, and, and and that's that's what I was thinking um, through that I also changed the key a few times so that when it goes from being say the ninth to to the 13th it, it there's a bit of motion as well and it also gave me a bit more space to to voice the trumpet out because we're a bit limited with our our range. So putting a little bit higher allows me to 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 get wider voicings. Um, as far as odd meters stuff goes, yeah, I mean I've been listening to Dave Holland and and, and Chris Potter and Alex Sipiagin, but I was very uncomfortable in odd meters before, you know, maybe before a, a few months ago. So. Uh, we started doing like projects in school where you know, take take a standard and play an odd meter, and it's a bit corny and a bit contrived, but it was a good, good challenge for me because I wasn't comfortable playing in seven or, or playing in nine or, or, or eleven, and I started doing that with tunes I knew, just you know, modifying the head a little bit, and then improvising, and getting more comfortable, and then I thought, well, it, it, if I want to challenge myself. I'm going to do this arrangement in, in in a time signature that I haven't felt comfortable with. And, and do my best to get get comfortable with it because that's, I think, an expectation for the modern day jazz trumpet player. You can't just play, you know, 4-4 four, four Chet Baker kind of standards. Like, you're going to get thrown in situations where people bring in their originals or they, they bring in like a Dave Holland kind of tune and, and you're expected to improvise in, in odd meters. It's just par for the course now. So, so it was a personal challenge to do something in an odd meter. Uh, and I had those inspirations to listen to uh, because so many modern players do that and so many, like, they do it and they sound natural and that's that's the objective here. Throw in some really uh, funky harmony uh, over that and, you know, you, you've got something unique there. Um, there are players who can arrange better than I can. There are players who can play in odd meters better than I can. There are people who have taken all the things you are and put it into odd meters already. Nothing I do in that video is making jazz history, but I think, you know, picking this thing and picking that thing and working on these different elements and putting it together in that combination uh, 
contributes to me developing a bit of personality and finding the the things I like and adding those sort of flavors to my own voice. Yeah. Well, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that uh, what's it? I believe it's Stravinsky who said that all music was plagiarism. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's like yeah, there's really nothing new under the sun. Um, so you're not you're not doing anything that that is so uh, like super super revolutionary. But uh, you know, none of us really are. But it's just giving our personal uh, slant to it. You know. We, we only have, you know, some, you know, if we're playing Western music, we only have, you know, so many notes to work with. I mean, that's, that's why, like, I loved, uh, when I was younger, I, I went through a huge Don Ellis phase and, uh, you know, the, the odd time meters, the, uh, use of, uh, quarter tones, uh, you know, it, it's at first it's kind of, uh, shocking to hear you know kind of it messes with you but then when you start to get used to it then it's like oh well this is you know this is really kind of cool and it, it expands the palette uh a little bit um but you know to try and stay with with within our our western uh you know concepts of, of harmony then uh you just you only have so many things to work with so it's, it's just how do you put those ingredients together to create something that that's uh that has your own signature your own stamp to it and I thought it was it was great. Um, it was, uh, to me, is is very interesting to listen to uh, from the harmonic perspective, uh, from the creative perspective. Uh, the playing was was excellent. You know, just the the everything about it from the musical aspect was very very well done. And then when you add that with the video, because this was after all, you know, a multi track competition, so you know there there had to be the the video. Uh, quality is, is with that as well. And you did some really interesting things um, to me uh, to keep me engaged visually with the process. You know, the use of, uh, yeah, obviously everybody's using multiple windows and things like that. But uh, some of the effects that you use, like uh, when you took the, uh, the, the timeline from, from your audio track and, uh, you know, using some, uh, you know, some effects with that in terms of some of the visual effects and the 3D rendering sort of things on that. So I thought that was all very, very cool uh, to uh, to kind of do that and go, wow, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I hadn't, I really hadn't, I've never seen that before and the way that you place it was really great. So what were some of the inspirations for you from the video perspective? You know, what, what were you trying to accomplish with the way that you, that you staged that video and, and some of the, the effects that you used on that? Well, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you say like it, uh, it has to be visually engaging. Uh, what I was thinking is like nowadays when you make music, I think it's just taken for granted like that there is a visual element to it. If you just if I just made the song and put it on SoundCloud or, or a streaming service, it wouldn't have the same attention as you know if you put it on YouTube and share it. Uh, there's that visual element, and and I think people just expect that. And, um, I wanted to try something again, just like the music, like there's nothing I'm doing that hasn't been done in some capacity before, but done in this way with this type of music and with trumpet, it's not so you don't find it as, as, as often. So my goal was to keep the listener visually engaged. Um, the multi-track video thing is 
you know, we did, we had that before the pandemic. Now with the pandemic, everybody who owns an instrument and, and an iPhone is, is doing a video where they play different parts and it's multi-tracked and multiple windows. So I thought, what, what can I do? That's, um, not just that, not just my face for five or six times and also visually engaging maybe to a viewer who is not a jazz listener or a jazz musician who might not understand what's going on musically, but might feel captivated when they see something interesting or something that that's attention grabbing. So going from there, the, the inspiration was like the, the visuals should be generated from the music. They should be synchronized with the music and, and, and come from that because it, it, it will complement it nicely. It won't seem out of place. Uh, it's not just some random B-roll of me walking around downtown Montreal. Uh, it, so I found a couple of programs. That, there's a whole bunch of free programs and, and plugins that will convert MIDI into visual stuff. So uh, with the Soli, I just exported the MIDI file of the arrangement I had made and imported it into a, an app, uh, MIDI Visualizer, I think it was. And then it gave me these sort of blocks. And then from there, I added a bunch of effects to colorize it and make it a little flashier. And then with the solo, I, I did something kind of interesting. Um, there's a plugin that converts your audio pitch to MIDI pitch. So I originally did it because partway through the solo, you can, I added sort of a synth sound to it. So I used it to get the pitch information from my solo to transcribe it and put it in the synth. And then I exported that MIDI file into um, MIDI trail, which gives you that sort of uh, the, the horizontal uh, representation of the, the solo. And then I exported that video and, and same thing added, added effects. So I'm playing along and it's kind of like, it reminded me of those old video games, like guitar hero or, or, you know, beat saber or whatever, where, where you're uh, you've got the notes coming at you. I thought it would be something that people could, people would find interesting visually. They might relate to it. You know, even a, a kid might go, that that's cool. That's, that's something I've kind of seen before, but not with trumpet and not with this kind of music. Um, my brother and I have been talking, he's actually a, a lighting uh, designer and a, uh, a visual effects uh, designer. So my next project, I'm going to get him involved in that because he's very, very good when it comes to uh, that visual stuff. He didn't help me with this, but but um, I think the next time I'm gonna ask him to maybe do some more three dimensional stuff and and uh, different types of generative uh, uh, effects that that are they're generated and controlled, sort of respond to the audio, but might have different algorithms uh, uh, to generate those visuals. So I, I I'm really excited to what he might give me for my next few videos because. Um, that's a whole other world uh, and, and it's difficult to become an expert in everything you do. You know, when you do a video, you have to, you've, you've not only got to arrange and play well, but you've got to be able to produce the audio and produce the video and do all the editing. So uh, it will be nice to have a bit of external expertise when it comes to these things, because there's only so far I can personally delve into it before it's like, Okay, I've been I've been at the computer for ten hours, and you know I do actually need to practice. I, I am still a musician. I'm not a full on three um, D effects designer. Um, so so the, this, finding that balance point is is kind of um, difficult. But I was happy with what came out 
in the video and I'm, I think, confident that each video I do should be like progressively more um, interesting and different, maybe more, more complex. So I'm looking forward to what, with my brother's help, what, what kind of things we can do um, that they may, maybe they've been done in, in, you know, electronic music and in music videos, but, but haven't really been applied to, to jazz. Well, that's cool. It, was this your first like kind of major effort uh, or delving into the world of, of uh, video and multi-track or is this something you've been doing for a while? Video, yes. Like I had not even, I not even touched a video editing software before January when I made this. Um, audio, I've always had an interest in. I've always been playing around with like DAW programs, Logic and, and uh, um, Reaper, uh, Cubase. I've always had a budding interest in that. I've always been able to sort of figure things out, um, just on my own. So, and, and with, with the army, even I'm, I'm a sound tech, you know, for our concerts and recordings, just, you know, I was available and willing to try it. So I have some hands-on experience with that. No formal training. Um, the video stuff was all new. I was learning as I, as I was going. So it was very time intensive. I had made videos just kind of, you know, point the camera and play along with the transcription. Uh, but I'd never done anything that had such involved levels of editing. I'd never really figured out the software before. This was very, very new to me. Um, so were you, did you come into it with a vision? Like, you know, basically like you storyboarded it out, uh, and, and then made it happen? Or was it uh, a little bit more of, holy crap, I didn't know I could do this. And you start, you know, start finding things and, and start, you know, plugging them in as you go along. I would say more the second uh, than, than the first. Uh, with the arrangement and the music side, it, it was much more organized. Because I think to build a good arrangement, you have to have that idea, uh, you know, it's going to be an introduction. There's going to be an A section. There's going to be solo section. There's going to be a solo. There's going to be, you know, like I, I kind of mapped out the arrangement more or less. But after that, it was just like, oh, well, I can do this. Well, if I can do that, maybe I can do this too. Well, how do I do that? You know, is there, is there a way to make this more interesting? And then as I started playing around more with, with the video software and, and, looking around on YouTube and seeing what other people had done, I realized, you know, then I started to get ideas. Okay, well, this section, I can have the, the windows moving around and, and, you know, rather than it just being static. This section, I can use, you know, some different transitions. This section, maybe I can, I can try some, some MIDI generated or audio generated uh, visuals. So the, the, the first time, the musical side was mapped out. The visual side was very much experimentation and figuring things out on the fly and then cleaning it up after <laughs> well it, it sounds like a great jazz musician you know <laughs> there's a lot of improv going on there. absolutely there's a lot of improvisation and i think that's that's really key because you know i i went into this in january thinking well this would be a great thing to learn getting on youtube and, and having some Video editing skills is, is only going to help, especially in, in these times where there was really nothing going on in uh, sort of live music at that time. Uh, just try it. Just improvise. Just go for it. Like, 
nobody's going to be there to slap your wrist if you make a mistake. And uh, I just didn't have this fear of making mistakes. And I didn't expect to get anything out of it. I didn't know there was a contest for this kind of stuff. I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect that many people to watch it either. It's just like, well, this is a skill I can learn. And the only way I'm going to learn it is to, uh, to just do it and to just practice. Just like an instrument, you, you practice, uh, you know, you practice your audio and, and your video stuff. And then you start to have a feel for, well, I can do this and this is going to be the effect. Just like you would with, you know, your sound or... Like it becomes a bit more second nature. You can read books about it. You can take courses, but I think for me, I always learn by doing and by imitating. And um, I I hope that more people, especially younger people, can go into stuff like this without being afraid. You know, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, that's fine. Nobody does in the beginning. <laughs> Just try it. It's easier than it's ever been, and it's cheaper than it's ever been to to be able to produce your own music and to be able to produce your own videos. So, so try it. Uh, you just need an iPhone. You need some. You can get there's free free DAWs. There's free video editing software. Try it and see what you get out of it. You might be surprised with what you can do. Yeah. So speaking of of uh, gear that you, that you use for that, uh, you know, you you mentioned. Uh, uh, did you did you use uh, Logic or Cubase or Reaper for your for your audio tracking? Let's, so let's let's just dive into to the the tech side of of what you did. Um, you know what what equipment did you use? What software programs? Gear talk, <laughs> always fun, always a hit with trumpet players. I uh, am. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into the trumpet gear later, but uh, <laughs> let's let's talk computer gear right now. So I have a pretty basic setup as far as my computer. I've got a, a Mac Mini M1 uh from 2021 which is a pretty affordable computer i think it's it's not top of the line anything it's just pretty standard um for uh for the audio i used uh i've got a motu interface two channel very basic uh, uh it's at the same level as maybe a, a, a one of the focus right uh you know like just a standard audio interface 200 bucks um, and I used for the recording, uh, of the trumpet parts, I used a ribbon mic, uh, cascade, which is again, a pretty, I think it's pretty entry level ribbon mic. It's not, not as nice as the Barkley, uh, which I can't wait to get my hands on. <laughs> Barkley microphones can't go wrong with them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think having a ribbon mic really made a big difference. Uh, if, if you want to record trumpet in that capacity. Uh, which uh, I feel it's more of a voice than a trumpet. I think if you look, you look at any EQ sort of preset for trumpet, they tend to be towards like trumpet section, you know, R and B types. There's more highs than anything. Uh, whereas in my case, I was looking for a, a warmer um, sound with a maybe a broader spectrum, more mids, more more of a, a vocal sound almost. So having the ribbon mic was really good at capturing that warmth and maybe cutting some of those high highs off. Um, I did use Logic as my my DAW, uh, only because I've been I've been using it for so long. I'm I'm uh, familiar with it. But it's certainly not you know I, I think Reaper's just as good. Um, Logic is just more comfortable for me uh, at this point. Um, I use the Native Instruments uh, Complete for my um 
virtual instruments because uh, there's a rhythm section, of course. So that comes with a nice it's a studio drummer plug-in. Is has, has some good drum sounds. Um, I played a lot of the drum parts on my keyboard and then kind of quantize it after because you know, there's it comes like all these plugins will come with nice like drum loops, but they're not in seven four. <laughs> they're not, and they might not be like I don't find uh, whenever you're doing a soli or anything jazz, you need you know you need a little more punches and it, you're gonna have to adapt it to to match the drum parts. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of playing around with with keyboard drums and and uh, um, say the keyboard was uh, was from the same package at Native Instruments. And bass as well. That's sort of my go-to. I, th I think Native Instruments has really nice, nice plugins. And um, from the video side, I have a, a Canon M50, which is a very uh, basic, uh, like mirrorless SLR camera. Uh, it's it's good. Like vloggers do it, use it. Uh, it, it, it's it's a pretty entry level camera, but I think having a real camera rather than a phone or, or iPad was a big uh, advantage. Just with uh, having the choice of like manually being able to change the aperture settings, manually being able to change the shutter speed. Uh, I already was doing photography just for fun, so switch translating that into video was pretty straightforward. But having a real manual camera was a big uh, upside to this. I didn't always use, like, I, I think it was beneficial to not be recording audio and video at the same time. So I would record the audio takes, get the, get a great take that I was super happy with, and then do the video takes after. You know, I'm playing, of course, but they're not always the same takes. They're synced up after. I think that was always helpful because you can get, you can really focus on getting a good angle for the video rather than, you know, and you can really focus on getting good mic placement for the the audio. Rather than having to do both at the same time, it's really too much. So having vi video separate from audio was very, very uh, helpful. Uh, what else as far as gear? I think that's all I really had. I didn't even have um, proper lighting. I was just using like a, a lamp <laughs> in the corner. Uh, I didn't have a green screen. I was using a, a like blackout curtain. So it was very much just improvising with the stuff I had in the house. Um, and you know, trying to key out the curtain behind me, trying to get the lighting acceptable. Uh, now I've bought those things because you know I just won a contest, so I can afford it. But I, I think I, I do feel my my setup was very minimal. For you know, if you go on YouTube and find out like what do people recommend you get, like I did, I barely had the minimum to to do this. But I think, but it still worked. Uh, just just with a bit of tweaking and a bit of you know playing around and improvising, I managed to make it work. Yeah. What did you use for your video editing? Final Cut Pro. Final Cut Pro. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I, I've got Adobe as well. Uh, Premiere's great. Uh, my brother does a lot of Premiere stuff. Uh, but when you get Logic, uh, if you're a student, you get it with Final Cut. So I was like, well, I've got it already. And uh, it runs natively on my computer. Uh, so it made sense to learn Final Cut first. And, and it was pretty user-friendly. Like, there were times where I had to go online and look up little tutorials, but but I didn't find it difficult to learn. Uh, again, like I've used both programs, I find they're both really good. It's just a personal preference. Um, 
just like the DAWs. I, I don't, I don't have any particular brand loyalty. They're all very good. They all do basically the same thing. Um, it's a matter of, you know, if you're PC or Mac or you're dealing with people who are maybe going between the two, you might want one versus the other. Um, I've always had Mac. So the final cut logic combo feels very, you know, smooth on my computer. Yeah. So how long did that project take you to complete from, from inception to the final product? About a month. So at the end of December, I started thinking about the arrangement and had that done in a couple of weeks. And then, then I record the recording and video process took about two weeks after that. Um, which was very, very intense. I was really like, I would just hold up in my little office, you know, 12 hours straight, you know, recording during the day. And then it was nighttime, it's too late to play. So I would just, you know, I was up all night on the computer playing with Final Cut, playing with Logic and tweaking things. So it was like two weeks of, two weeks of arranging and, and musical thoughts, and then two weeks of production. But those two weeks of production were just, I could not have possibly worked more hours than I did on it. I, I was, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was in the, in the studio all day. I was missing meals, but I loved doing it. It was so fun to learn and, and do it. Like it, it was truly a passion project. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of hours and, and, yeah. and, and, and it was a miracle that I got it done that quickly because at the end of January, when I had it done was like right in time for the, the contest and, and, you know, I got contacted like, Hey, you should, you should send us this. So it was uh, really great that I got it done so quickly and, and really a, an amazing coincidence that, that there was this competition at the same time as it got done. Right, so this wasn't, this wasn't an intentional entry. This is, this is just kind of serendipity kicked in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Absolutely. Yeah. It was like, I, I put it up on YouTube and all my friends and other musicians in Montreal were like, well, holy crap, that's really cool. And then, um, a friend of a friend contacted me and said, that's D David Cook, who's, uh, who studied in Montreal. So he knew people here. He said, you know, I, I just watched a video. I, th I think it meets our criteria, but you should consider, uh, submitting it to our, our contest. Um, the, I don't know him personally, so it was totally like a, a cold call, but it was a very, I'm very glad he, he reached out because I wouldn't have found out otherwise. Uh, but yeah, it was totally serendipity. And, and uh, I submitted it thinking, well, you know, again, like I'm just learning this stuff now. Uh, I don't expect to win anything, but hey, like what is there to lose? Uh, nothing really. I, I, did, I, I, I thought it was, it, it lined up so perfectly. I can't miss this opportunity if, if it does turn out to be something. But even if it doesn't, you know, there's always next year and, and, um, it's, it's worthwhile to, to try for these things. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. So you never know. You yeah. never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is this then something that you're thinking that, that you want to make, uh, more of a part of your, um, 
you know, the way that you get your music out to other people is, you know, doing more of these kind of multi-track videos. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, your people do expect it to a certain extent. And I think it's a very, very creative way to, to self-produce your own music and draw people in. Um, there's a lot of jazz musicians or just musicians in general who are, you have to diversify a bit. Everyone does a bit of everything. You know, people do gigs, they do a bit of teaching, they do a bit of studio work. This is just another one of those tools you can add to that toolbox. Um, you know, you see some people get really successful, like like Adam Neely or Charles Connell, who, you know, they they have millions of followers um, or more than a million followers each. And this is a, a significant income stream and, and source of, of uh, recognition for them. I don't expect that, but I think it does draw people in to me and what I do. Uh, even if it doesn't at this point generate income for me, I'm quite fine with that because it showcases what I do at, in a way that I'm proud to put out and people can, can go online. They can see Cameron Milligan. Oh, okay. This is what he does. Uh, and, and they see that this is his sound and this is, these are his capabilities. I think it's so useful to have it and, uh, to stay current with it, to continue making these kind of videos is only going to draw more people in. Uh, to, to what I do. It's fun to do. I love doing it. So again, like even if it doesn't really represent a huge income stream, I'm happy to do it. I think it will come to something. It takes time. Uh, I'm just starting with this YouTube thing, but I would like to grow my channel. I would like to, to have uh, my own angle. Like, you know, there are better jazz YouTubers out there. There are like educators like, like Adam Neely who do their, their thing. There are trumpet players like Charlie Porter who are, you know, and yourself who've got pretty good followings. Um, but I want to find maybe my own angle that, uh, you know, with the trumpet and with production, maybe that, that, uh, maybe, maybe it'll stand out enough that, that I can get some sort of following over, over the next few years. I'm also looking at doing like just a trumpet, like trumpet talk kind of stuff, uh, you know, tips and tricks for trumpet and improvisation. Um, I'm not a teacher per se, but, but it would be, uh, I, I am a master's student. I have experience, so maybe there's an audience for that too. I'm going to try putting out as many videos as I can and, and keeping the quality high and I'll see where it takes me. Well, best of luck to you. And it, you know, it, it's, um, it's like anything else. I, and I don't want to say that I'm, I'm certainly not at the level of, of a lot of other people and you know, the people that I look up to in the, in the space like the the podcasting space um but you know growing growing this channel growing this audience um it's a labor of love but it's like playing trumpet man you know you don't you don't pick the horn up and and play like doc severinson or maynard ferguson or you know uh, freddie hubbard the first time you you put a mouthpiece in the horn you know you, you have to develop skills and it takes time and it takes effort and, and it takes takes a while to develop a following uh but you know the, the key is consistency you know of just just keeping at it and um you know i like even for myself like right now the the, the biggest problem that i'm dealing with uh with my consistency in this podcast is that when I first launched, and, and I did not launch this as a COVID project, even though I, my first episode launched 
during the beginning of the pandemic, this was something I had been planning prior to, and it just, it just so happened to coincide with it. But the, the, the serendipitous part of that for me was that nobody was working. And because nobody was working, everybody had time and everybody wanted to, you know, they wanted to, you know, keep connected with, with the trumpet community because, you know, we're not going to events anymore. We're not going to conventions. So, you know, let, let's, uh, let's do this. So now the problem I'm having is that, you know, thank goodness, everybody's working again, which creates a problem because then nobody's available, you know, because they're, you know, they're trying to juggle their, their performance schedules and things like that. So it makes it harder to do this. So I'm thinking like, okay, well, maybe maybe I need to back off of my original uh, an episode every week to maybe I need to back off to bi-monthly or even just monthly and, and do, do less, but provide more quality. You know, because when, when you're doing, when you're doing a weekly show uh, you know, people don't realize that, you know, for, for this show, it may take me uh, a good 10 hours worth of total work to produce a single episode, you know, with, you know, the pre-production work, the actual interview, and then post-production, you know, that, that all takes time. And, you know, to do that on a weekly basis, you know, when you don't have anything else to do, that's great. But when you have other things in life that are going on, then, then that, that becomes challenging. So, um, you know, to, to back things off and, and to just be able to provide you know, a, a little, maybe, you know, if I'm only doing it once a month, maybe I can produce higher quality, you know, better, you know, I don't do a whole hell of a lot of editing because I, I just want this to be raw, but maybe I can do a lot more with stuff. Um, so those are the kind of the considerations that I think people like when they start to think about getting into to the world of podcasting or YouTube video series or things like that, that I start to, uh, I've been consulting with a lot of people, uh, locally about that sort of thing. It's like, well, those are the things that you got to start thinking about because there is a time investment and there is a growth curve and there, there is going to be a lot of frustration, uh, before you get to your, you know, your, your first thousand followers. Um, so, you know, these are the things that you, you've got to kind of keep in mind, but if you keep at it, you're going to grow. It, there, there's no doubt in my mind. And I know like for, for, you know, not just speaking to you, but just to anybody who's interested in doing, you know, getting into this kind of space that there is, there's a tremendous benefit to it. And I, I think that particularly for, for people who are trying to get, uh, get their playing in front of people, they're arranging in front of people that this is, this is the wave of the future, you know? Yes. And, uh, I think that, that, that in terms of teaching, even, uh, everybody's got their, their own unique voice as a teacher and your own unique voice as a player. And, you know, to say, well, there's already somebody doing this. Don't, don't even do that. Don't even think about that because, you know, there are more people that you can touch uh, who maybe couldn't learn from someone else because they just couldn't speak the same language as them. You know, I'm not speaking English or you know, about English, but just the, the way that you present information is going to be completely different from anybody else. And, you know, just do it, just do it, man. That's yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
so for you, what do you think, like, uh, like if you had to look at this as, and like, say, besides the, you know, the, the Barclay microphone and, and being able to sit here and, and talk nonsense with me, what are the, what's the biggest benefit that you got out of this whole process of, of doing this project? I think the addition to my skills to, to, you know, I, I learned how to edit video while I did it. And, you know, that, that's pretty ingrained. Like I've got a workflow now. I know how, how to edit and I, I know how to like, it's easier now when I go to edit a video, I've just learned that skill set from doing it. So that's a huge one. Um, having some finished product that uses so many different elements that I find challenging and being able to say, I did it like, here it is go and watch it is also huge for me. That's a big sense of accomplishment because this was a challenging arrangement to write. This was a challenging thing to play. Um, it, it draws on all parts of my, my musical knowledge, style, rhythm, harmony, uh, playing, improvisation, uh, just to have finished it and, and to be able to be proud of it is, is a big uh, takeaway from it. And, and, and I got the thing, I got out of it what I hoped to get out of it, which was, you know, which were both of those things, uh, addition to my skill set. And, and, and a finished product that I can show people. And, and the, the contest was just a bonus on top of that. A uh, very welcome one and, and it, it very, uh, it, it, it makes me feel recognized and it, and, and it certainly reinforces that I'm doing some good things. But the, the biggest thing was, was like, now I'm capable of doing so much more than I was before I did this. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Um, do you have any uh like aspirations to, to see that arrangement performed live i hadn't when i wrote it but i've had a few people mention that to me and mention interest so i i mean i'd be happy to to see how that goes i think it it would require a bit of tweaking i mean if you had the four trumpets i suppose you could do it uh in a rhythm section it'd be cool to maybe do a big band arrangement as well because i think there was a lot of things I did that were, you know, like with the different mutes and the call and response that probably in, in real life would have been different sections playing uh, the different lines. Uh, so that would be kind of cool to hear how other instruments sound over this. Yeah. Uh, but I would, if somebody's down to play it live, I would definitely be, be happy to, uh, to provide the chart and, and provide direction and, and see how that, that could go. It's very challenging. There's a lot of things in it that, that when you're self-producing, you can bend and break the rules a little more because you know that it's, you know, I know it's me who's going to play it. Right. So I can, I can make this voicing that goes really, really low and I can do as many takes as I want and adjust the volumes and compression so that it speaks properly. But when you give it to live players, you might not want, you know, a low G or a low F sharp. Like that's kind of a no-no trumpet sectional writing. And there's a lot of things that I did that were, that were like that. Like I, I can only get away with this because I know I'm playing it. So it might require a bit of adaptation just to make it a little more, just for more facility. And, and in, I can give it to anyone and, and it'll be clear what, what's supposed to happen and they'll be able to play it. And it's going to sound, it's going to sound flushed out and not, not unbalanced. Yeah. Yeah, see, because I, I I immediately started thinking, man, 
you know, like going to an event like uh, the National Trumpet Competition or ITG or, you know, something like that, where they typically have uh, university uh, trumpet ensembles that will prefer that will they will do they call them fanfares. So they'll do these, you know, one or uh, one or two pieces as a trumpet ensemble. Um, and they're typically classical. Uh, and I'm always thinking, man, this would sound so killer on stage with a, a, an actual ensemble playing all those parts live. That would just, that, that would really be, I think, thrilling. So uh, any of you educators out there that have a trumpet ensemble, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, give Cameron a call and, and think about uh, adding this to your, your repertoire for, you know, for next year for performances, because uh, it's definitely out of the ordinary. That would be very cool just to have, to, you know, to get my name out there as an arranger too, to hear other people. I love it when I write an arrangement and, and other people play it and, and it's, you know, they add their own nuance to it and their own sound. It's really satisfying to like, it, it's like somebody's taken my thing slightly farther and are in a slightly different direction. So I, I would really love to hear it played by some other people too. I'm, I'm very, very interested to, to, to make that happen. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, as much as I love big band or, you know, orchestra, you know, larger ensembles, things like that, and having the different voices, there's just something really unique about having a singular type of voice. Uh, and it, there's, uh, like you're saying, you, you can, you can do a lot of things in production that you can't, that, that are harder to do live in terms of, of voicings and things like that. But Still, there's something about keeping that that quality of that consistent quality of the timbre uh, throughout the ranges. Uh, so even that's why I love multi-tracking too, because you you are going to be so consistent. You know, the sound is going to blend so well. Um, so, but yeah, I, I do think that it would be interesting to hear that. You know, maybe change the you know some of those low parts to flugel parts or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, you know, but that could definitely. I think it definitely would be something that even if not just that piece, but that genre of just, you know, really spreading out uh, and seeing a lot more jazz being done in these, these larger trumpet ensembles. I think that would be, that would be a benefit to all of us. For sure. It's interesting. You, you mentioned like uh, the, the sort of blend, because that's something I, I, I was thinking about a lot with this and just in terms of self-production, when we practice the trumpet, we we want to be practicing things we don't necessarily sound good on, so that we're challenging ourselves and that we're that we're sharpening our skills. But this is kind of the opposite in that I learned a lot about my own sound, and we should all learn. You know, we should all listen back to ourselves and record ourselves. And uh, like this is this is a sort of a chance to uh, um, to emphasize emphasize your strengths and to really play around like. What, you know, what, what do I want to stand out in my sound and what can I do as far as EQing, uh, mic placement, uh, acoustic treatment, um, compression, reverb, what, what are the, the optimal settings that really make me sound the way I want to be heard and that, that allow me to blend and that, that make my strengths stand out. Uh, that was a really fun thing to, to do. I'm still working on it, but I think we should all do that if we have any 
aspirations to to record ourselves and and uh record our own projects like you know make an eq pre preset that's like the way you want to sound on a solo make an eq preset for you know what's your lead sound what's like f discover your own uh sound and and capitalize on that by by you know emphasize your strengths yeah yeah well i think that that's a that's a great idea that's a great idea and yeah I, and i really think uh that anybody who's interested in doing uh more of this kind of stuff or learning about it that you know next the next time that the uh the trumpet multi-track competition rolls around that it's a great thing to do you know it it's nothing um like you were saying you know it it's something that, that if you if you do it just for the sake of doing it and you're learning these new skills there's there's your there's your main reward right there but you also have the possibility the potential of winning some really cool prizes and uh you know you there's there's no losing in this in that you're you're going to come away with something of value through the yeah. process so uh, it's certainly worthwhile and you know if it's not if it's nothing more than just developing that new skill set uh and getting some critical feedback from people about uh the process you know i think that that everybody should should think about doing it so make sure uh to keep an eye out for the uh the next uh next episode of that and uh and join in and you know have fun in the process man that's what it's all about so uh, so let's uh, let's hop into some of our our standard trumpet guru segments here. And uh, since you are uh, my guest for today, I, I've got to do this. And in the, in the, this first one is brought to us by none other than Mr. Michael Barkley of Bar Barkley Microphones, uh, which you will be a proud recipient recipient as part of the, your award winning presentation. So uh, Barkley Microphones, absolutely killer ribbon microphones made by a trumpet player so you know these are definitely if you're a trumpet player and you're looking for for a recording microphone you can't go wrong with them and uh, they're not going to break the bank that's the thing i love about them uh so this is a uh, sound off and sound off is about uh you know your approach to sound so uh i really did love the sound that you got in this in this recording uh so can you talk a little bit about your your concepts of sound and how you go about getting sound, both in terms of live recording, live performance, and then also in the recording process? I think for um, for live performance, it, it's always a bit of a challenge because you you tend to work with different equipment in different situations. But uh, when I'm able to bring my own microphone, I I, I tend to have a tighter setup. I like to. Um, to have something that will pick up the the warmer sides of my sound and the softer um dynamics as well so usually i have a clip-on um i have a clip-on condenser that i was using for for live stuff um when it's uh when it's a fixed mic and i have to use the mic from the venue um I have to be very careful i think when i'm improvising when you're playing jazz it, it's very easy to get into it and to move around a lot so um like my, my approach is the same in that that i i'm not as much a lead player i'm not looking for the brighter end i'm looking for the mid-range i'm looking for even some of the lower lower end uh to to give that nice full sound uh when i'm recording 
uh, again, like a ribbon mic, which the Barclay microphone is, so uh, which is perfect because a ribbon is optimal for for my if I have a choice of microphones because it it does emphasize that range. You can get you know lead sounds off of it, like it's it's they're very versatile. But I think for capturing the the spectrum of the trumpet sound, ribbon mic is is the best. Um, for me personally, I really play tight to the mic when I'm recording. Um, lower gain, but closer placement, because I find that it, um, it, it gets less room sound. Ribbons, of course, they've got the figure eight pattern. So you, if you don't have the, the proper treatment in your room, it will pick up the, the sound of the room, which is good and bad. I, I prefer to add the reverb after and have a very clean, dry sound. So tight, tight-ish miking, not too much gain. I don't play super loud at, at home when I'm recording. Um, that, that would be my, my approach. Cool. Cool. Awesome tips on that. All right. So let's move on to our next segment. Our next segment is uh, called Geared Up and it's brought to us by Venture Microphones, where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Uh, use the code TRUMPETGURUS21 to get, get 10% off your uh, next order. So Geared Up is about gear. So let's, you know, we talked about your, uh, your uh, recording setup. Let's talk about your, your horn setup. Very, uh, very basic run of the mill. Uh, I've got a, uh, a um, Bach uh, Strad 37, um, medium large, very standard trumpet. But I feel it's uh, it's got the versatility I need to play in lots of situations. It's um, you know it, it feels good. Uh, I've got a Bach three C uh, megatone, so again very like middle of the road mouthpiece. It's not that big. It's not that small. It's it's for me. It, 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 I like to not have to think about. I've played with different mouthpieces and different sizes and different horns. I've I've gone there, been there, done that, and now I like. I like this very like non sort of non thinking approach. I don't I don't have to second guess my equipment. I don't have to think, oh, do I have the right mouthpiece today? Do I have the right horn? I it works for me and uh and uh, at this point I, I like uh, I like not having to worry about about playing too big or playing playing any I don't play anything that radical. It's very, very basic and uh, and that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, you can certainly get in, go down a rabbit hole real quick when it, when it comes to gear. But you know that you know, I think that that a lot of times when you're uh, when you're trying to be a specialized player, then having you know these different you know different gear that that kind of maybe will color your sound a little bit more. Uh, but uh, you know, if, if you're just looking to to kind of be that that more versatile player that that's staying somewhere i hate to use the term middle of the road because it sounds like it's not good uh but but something that that is more of a standard you know it's going to have a standard sound and it's going to have a standard feel um and it also makes it easier when you know if you have to replace your gear you know? yeah yeah, yeah I've, I've, i think that might change you know like with budget and you know maybe in the future I'll, I'll, I'll be able to afford more you know different types of horns i've owned you know i've owned monettes i've owned uh Calicchios, i've owned you know i've owned I've, I've tried different ones but you know now this like for what i do 
I'm mainly a jazz guy, but I've, I'm also called on to play classical stuff. I play commercial music. I play, you know, marches. Uh, it's, it's just at this point in my career, it's nice to be able to do everything on the same horn, but that, that could, that will probably change because it's so fun to try out new stuff and hear, you know, how does, how does that color my sound? How does that, how does that feel different? You know, what, what situations, you know, is this heavier horn going to be, you know, might be really cool in a small group jazz setting and this lighter horn might, you know, might zing a little more so i'm open to changing it when 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 i can afford it and when it makes you know maybe once i've found more of a niche uh but at the moment i'm uh i'm doing many different things so i've got to be flexible well it's all good all right well we got one final segment get through and this is uh brought to us by robinson's remedies this is our robinson remedy rapid fire round a series of questions that kind of go all over the place and uh we're going to get your quickest answers of these so cameron are you ready to begin okay all right here we go he's got his, his drink of water he's ready to do this all right first question who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player oh that's uh uh my fiance <laughs> that's a good answer <laughs> uh what is your favorite book my favorite book is um sapiens what's the worst movie you've ever seen the room Ooh. uh if you weren't a trumpet player what would you want to be i would want to be a uh, race car driver okay what's your favorite drink espresso Hmm. single or double double okay i uh, especially after all those hours editing videos yes uh, <laughs> you could have a dinner party and or you're gonna have a dinner party and at the dinner party you could invite any three living people any three people in the world who would you want to have there wayne shorter um herbie hancock and uh vladimir Zelensky. Okay. Uh, at the uh, dinner table, you've got three additional chairs for any three people from history. So you can bring any three people back to the living for the evening's party. Who would you want to have there? Mahatma Gandhi. Martin Luther King. John Coltrane. Yeah, that sounds like a great party. Uh, lacquer, plated, or raw? Silver plated. Okay. What is your favorite quote? Uh, Miles Davis said uh, something along the lines of, uh, you don't need to play all the notes, just find the pretty ones. All right. What's your greatest fear? Not being able to take care of myself. Okay. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? To be able to calm people down. <laughs> Talk them back from the edge. Oh, uh, your, your superhero name would be Prozac Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? High notes. Okay. And what aspect do you find to be the most underrated? Um, Mid-range lyrical playing. Okay. Uh, you're given the ability to go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Don't worry about it. It will come. Keep practicing. Trust the process. Stressing won't, won't make it come any faster. Okay. And you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life. Uh, be kind to people. Don't be afraid to stand up for yourself when, when the situation's appropriate. All right. And final question for you, Cameron, what do you want your legacy to be? That's a tougher one. That's complex. Um, I'd like to be remembered as a, as a good trumpet player who uh, was happy to, uh, just like I received help from Terry and, and so many great players, I want to be able to do the same for other people so they can look back and say, well, there was this time when I, you know, he, he, gave, he was giving and, and generous with information. He helped me become a better player. and he inspired me to, to do what I do now. And people are great. If people are grateful for what I brought to music in the community and their, their musical lives, that's really the, the most I can ask for. Now. Awesome. Well, every day add to that, you know, and, and, and you're, you're doing, you're doing such great service right now, just by uh, putting your, putting yourself out there. And Thank I just, you hope that you'll continue to do that. And uh, I certainly uh, believe that your, um, your following is certainly going to grow on, uh, on these channels and as your skills as a recording uh, engineer and video producer increase, then that's just going to make it that much easier for you to get your, uh, your already uh, great trumpet skills out there and, uh, you know, you'll be an inspiration to, to many of us. So I thank you very much for, for what you've done so far. And I'm really looking forward to following your career as you continue to advance in all these different aspects of your, your life. Thank you so much, Jose. And thanks again for having me on here. You know, this, this kind of thing is really, really helpful for me, uh, uh building a following and, and, uh, and to be able to talk about what I do and, and have, you know, there's a face behind what I do. It's, it's really uh, generous of you to, to give your time and, and effort into to making this podcast into to to having a segment on me. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. I can say I knew him when. So uh, just remember me when you're at the Grammys. So <laughs> uh, thank you very much for spending time for with us today on the Trumpet Guru's Hang, and make sure that you like and subscribe and uh, you know share this episode with others, especially if you know anybody who's interested in doing uh, some multi-track video stuff. Uh, certainly. Uh, recommend this video to them and certainly recommend that they consider uh, following things that are going on uh, with the uh, trumpet multi-track competition and uh, the seminars that they provide uh, along the course of the, the year to get people prepped for that. And make certainly make sure that you, you follow uh, Cameron and uh, like and subscribe to his channel. All of his contact information will be in the show notes, so uh, check it out. And as always, folks, peace and salad grease. 
We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Uh-huh.